We have two sections to cover. The first portion of the scripture that I just read is the first portion, and then we're going to get into a, uh, another portion. But uh, kind of a, a really neat place. We're, we're in a series uh, going through the book of Luke, and we're leading up to Christmas. Uh, we're going to take about a year and a half to go through the entire book of Luke. I'm very excited. You can imagine. I'm very excited about that. Uh, to just look about uh, the life and work of Jesus Christ and we're learning from Luke, this great doctor, a historian, an excellent historian, who um, gives us so many details in the book of Luke. It is the most comprehensive work ever done on Christ, is the work that Luke has done in history on the work and life and person of Jesus Christ. And uh, we've, been, we've been building. And so last week we saw what happened with Mary. And then we get to this portion of the text where we see that Mary has been given this great um, promise that she's going she's gonna to have a baby. Amen. She's going to have a baby and that this baby is going to be the savior of the world. And that's, I mean, everybody say big news. That's big news. Amen. This is a big deal uh, to Mary. And the question that I would just throw out there right away as, I, as we read this portion and and everybody has a different approach to the word when you read, you know, when you read a scripture, sometimes different questions may pop in your head. Amen. Some wait, what does that mean? Or what is that supposed to look like? What am I supposed to grasp from that text? Well, one of the things I wanted to just hit on a little bit is why was Mary so eager and uh, so quick in wanting to get to the south and visit it, visit her old relative. So we know that the, the Bible has taught us that Elizabeth and Mary are relatives. Some have assumed, well, they must be like cousins or something. We don't know exactly what the relation is, but we know that they're relatives and there is a relationship between Mary and Elizabeth. And remember who Elizabeth is, right? Um, Mary is going to have Jesus, but Elizabeth is going to have the forerunner, the prophet, the great prophet. You guys remember who, who she's going to give birth to? John the Baptist. You guys have learned the Bible. Look at you guys. Man, you guys are good. Amen. You guys are on it. That's so great. So, uh, and, and we see this, like, this really interesting um, parallel in the way the stories happen with both the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus Christ. In both scenarios, um, there are, they are miracle births in both stories. They are miracles. Elizabeth was in her old age. She wasn't supposed to have children. They prayed for a child. Um, and uh, uh, an angel, the angel Gabriel, visited Zachariah in the temple and said, uh, your wife's going to have a baby. And he's like, I don't believe you. And uh, the angel made him mute, couldn't talk. And so uh, this so this is great, you know, story of when we there's a lesson to be learned there. We talked about that. And then we see ain't the angel Gabriel show up again. And bring this uh, miracle promise to Mary. And you would say, well, what is the point of this? And I was just thinking about how Mary has been told something uh, that was absolutely humanly impossible and frankly unimaginable. That she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. Just mind-boggling. Of course, She's probably 13, 14 years old. She's a virgin. She's poor. She's illiterate. She doesn't come from a great background. 
not a lot of friends on Facebook. Okay? She comes from a very quaint place, a very small place. If you, you know, if you study these times, this is not like, it's not a lot of popularity going around. So very humble girl who had a heart for the Lord. And so when she receives this message, the angel Gabriel, God in his providence, through the angel Gabriel, knows that this is going to be difficult information for Mary to receive. Right? I don't know if you've ever been given a word by God or if God has spoken to you in some way or has shown you something or given you any kind of information where you say, wow, is, this is really amazing news. And, 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 the, and God knows that this is amazing news for Mary. So, so God is going to give Mary a sign that, that this miracle is going to take place in her life. And so it said in verse 36, if we just backed up a little bit in Luke chapter 1, verse 36, this is what the angel had told Mary, if you remember this. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also uh, conceived a son. She's pregnant. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. So Mary believed the angel. She had faith. She had a measure of strength. But it was really beyond comprehension. And, and, and I don't know if you know this, but there's, you know, you may watch a movie and see something. But there's no, like there's no moment where like we see in the Bible where Mary's all of like, there's no conception activity. Amen. There's no, there's no thing that scripture tells us where all of a sudden, and that was the moment that Mary became pregnant. There's none of that. All we know is that a promise was given and that she would become pregnant. And so Mary has no idea when she, how many of you um, mothers, you got pregnant and it was a surprise. And you were far along. You're already like, man, I'm two months pregnant. I had no idea. Any moms like that? Oh, my gosh, I'm pregnant. How far along? Eight months. I'm about to have. Wait. What? what? So she had, she had no idea when this baby was coming. She, and she knew that if all of a sudden she started to show, who's going to believe her story? If she were to come out right now, she's already, as Jonathan spoke about last week, she's already committed to Joseph. She's basically under a covenant with Joseph, betrothed to Joseph, committed to Joseph. And even at this stage, even though they haven't consummated the marriage, they were under binding agreement. And that to, to, to um, destroy that by her becoming pregnant could be lethal for her. And so there's no time frame, no experience. Mary just has to believe that this is going to happen. She's not sure when it will happen or when she'll start to show. And so this paints a picture of why Mary wants to go see Elizabeth, doesn't it? Because Elizabeth has been given a promise. Elizabeth, her old relative, the angel said, is pregnant. And Mary knows Elizabeth. And Mary knows Elizabeth's age. 
60, 70, possibly 80 years old. And the angel has said, Elizabeth's going to have a baby. Now, now understand, now just put yourself in Mary's position. God is saying to me that I'm going to have a baby through the power of the Holy Spirit that will be the Son of God. I need a confirmation. Anybody have that before? I just need to be, I need to know that this is God. And the angel has said that, that Elizabeth will be your sign. And so now this is why Mary decides very quickly, and probably within a few days, she goes to visit Elizabeth. Because she knows barren all her life, could not by any human means be pregnant. If Elizabeth is truly pregnant, then God did it. You understand? If Elizabeth, if I show up and Elizabeth is really pregnant, then I know God did something, and that means that God's really going to do something in me. This is not just some vision, some weird thing, some, you know, I ate tortillas and beans and had a revelation from God. This is really going to happen. The angel really did come and visit me. I really am going to be pregnant, and I better prepare for what's coming. Lots of spiritual application in our lives. Amen. Mary needed personal confirmation. Mary wanted her faith strengthened, so she quickly, she makes this journey about 75 to 80 miles, maybe more, from, a, from Nazareth to the southern Judea hillside region. It would probably take her about three to four days. We don't know if she went alone or if somebody went with her. Um, we, we just don't have that detail, but we know she makes this journey. It's very unlikely, though, that she's probably a girl, I mean, in, in Jewish tradition who would probably been, you know, um, uh, kept close to mom and dad, really close to mom. Uh, there was a value system of family and heritage and legacy. And so she would have probably not been allowed to venture very far. You know, back when I was younger, I could just ride my bike to Strawbridge Apartments that was like almost a mile away from my, or maybe half a mile or so away from my apartments, ride my bike. Yes, roller skate. I would go wherever I wanted to go, do whatever I wanted to do, run the streets. And, and things are a little different now. We, I'm a little closer with my kids. You can imagine back in this time, the kids were were kept pretty close, 13, 14-year-old girl traveling. She would have had permission from her father and her mother to leave, to go and see. So she probably was escorted in some way. But anyways, I read a lot of commentaries about this. I just want to let you know, I, it was everybody's divided. She must have had somebody. No, she went by herself by the miracle of God. She just went on her own, like a portal, just there. What? Okay. Everybody's weird out there. You got to be careful. Um, so finally, and I had this little uh, moment in the car on the way here. Try to help you understand this picture. Mary is um, on this journey, 
There's no, you know, there's no texting. Hey, Elizabeth, I'm on my way. You know, it's, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll be there in a few hours. Uh, there's no letter in advance. There's no phone call. Um, nothing. No pay phones. All the kids are like, what's a pay phone? You don't understand. Um, so Mary decides to go see Elizabeth. Elizabeth doesn't even know she's coming. You getting the picture here? So here we have this young 13, 14-year-old girl who wants to girl who wants to go see this relative Elizabeth. Now you can imagine all of the things that are running through the mind of this young girl, Mary. I'm gonna get pregnant. What are they gonna say about me? Is it really gonna happen? What's my life gonna look like now? What's my future look like? Is this angel really from God? Think about the personal confirmation now that, uh, that, that Elizabeth is going to give. And now all of a sudden, we get to a place where Mary, likely on a donkey, is getting closer and closer to Elizabeth's home. And Elizabeth comes out at 70 years old, six months pregnant. What a moment for Mary. I've never seen that in the scripture. Like this morning, I had this, like this, if you see somebody who's six months pregnant, you know they're pregnant, especially if you know them. And all of a sudden, she's showing. Elizabeth is showing. And now Mary is absolutely filled with this This is really happening. Her pregnancy, Elizabeth's pregnancy, confirms the promise that Mary is going to give birth to the Son of God. And so you can imagine this conversation between Elizabeth and Mary. The Bible says that they greeted each other. And you can imagine this conversation back and forth about the details and about and, and Elizabeth telling Mary, yeah, Zachariah, he was just doing his job. He was in the temple, and he was doing the incense thing, Mary. And then an angel visited him and, and told him that, that I was going to get pregnant, and I, he can't even talk. And, and here we are, like, I'm, I'm pregnant. And, and we have to, Mary, it's been very difficult because he doesn't listen and now he really can't listen, but we have to find a way to communicate, Mary. It's been really difficult in our marriage, but I'm pregnant. This is a little joke. Just a little joke. A little joke. Okay. So, and then think of Mary telling Elizabeth. Now, You need to understand, I think Mary went for confirmation, but I also think that Mary went to see Elizabeth because she knew that only Elizabeth would believe her. Who else is going to believe this 13 and 14 year old girl? Uh, I'm pregnant. Why? How, how? What happened? God. God got me pregnant. You know, 13, 14 year old girl. It's 
not going to look good for her to anybody else except Elizabeth. Just put it in normal context, you know. What a wild story. And frankly, Elizabeth was the only woman on earth who would buy her story. The, doesn't tell us that bef- the Bible doesn't tell us that before Mary went to visit Elizabeth, did she tell Joseph or her family or anybody? The word doesn't say. All we know is that quickly she heads to see Elizabeth. Now, when Mary greets Elizabeth, the Bible says that the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaped. You know, my wife was kind of odd when she was pregnant. My wife actually really enjoyed being pregnant. Um, it's just weird, but she, she really enjoyed it. She enjoyed the feeling of a life growing in her womb. And as the child gets older and or, older, you know, that more of that life, you know, uh, all of us sort of standing, you know, bystanding fathers, you know, what, uh, we put our hands on the womb and we feel the little kicking and moving of the infant. Um, but what's wonderful about this text is that this little baby, listen to this, this little baby, who is the baby in, um, in Elizabeth's womb who kicked and leaped John the Baptist. And what is John the Baptist? He's a what a prophet. So this is cool. He's a prophet of God, not just any prophet, but the greatest prophet who ever lived according to the word. A declared prophet who would be the forerunner to the Messiah. Great responsibility. And his first declaration, his first announcement, his first message happened when he's still not even born yet. (laughs) Announcing to his own mother that Mary's child is the Savior of the world. Amazing. Boom, boom, mom, that's him, mom. What a great job John the Baptist did, amen? All right, verse 42, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? You know, in the Hebrew culture, in the Jewish world, a woman gained greatest stature on the basis of her children. A woman's greatness was tied to the greatness of the children she bore. Elizabeth was actually saying that you are the most blessed because you have the greatest child. Not quietly, loudly, she is shouting this, excited, proudly declaring the blessing that has come to Mary. And Elizabeth says, I can't believe I'm in the presence of the mother of my Lord. This little sentence, so beautiful, because Elizabeth is the first person, the first human being in all of history to declare Jesus Lord. She hasn't even seen him live, walk on water, raise the dead, heal people, die on a cross, resurrect, but she's already worshiping and claiming him as God. I love it. Love it. And I just want to say here um, for my friends who, uh, who may be, from a Catholic background. 
I want to be sensitive to this because I know that many in this room have come from Catholic background, but I'm going to share with you what I think is important biblically. Uh, Mary is the mother of Elizabeth's Lord. Uh, Mary is the mother of the Lord. Mary is never in scripture called the mother of God ever. Never happens in scripture. Nobody is God's mother. God has always existed. The triune God was never produced or generated or created. The eternal God has always existed before he, for time. And in fact, um, when, when he meets uh, with different, at different times in scripture, he says, I am that I am. I am. He is the great I am. And so, so all of creation and everything that we see is, is by God. He is beyond time. And so when we think of time, he's beyond that. He's beyond the past, the present, and the future. He has, he's eternal God. And so we learn in scripture that Mary was the mother of Jesus, the man. She is not the mother of God. Big difference. Deity is true of Jesus, but it is not confined to Jesus. Let me say that again. Deity is true of Jesus, but it is not confined to Jesus. We believe in a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so because Jesus took on human flesh, the human flesh needed a human mother, and that was Mary. Amen? And so we don't worship Mary. We don't pray to Mary. We don't exalt Mary. We don't make her a mediator to access Jesus. She's not going to hear your prayers. She's not on that line. She's never heard anybody's prayers. Only God hears prayers. Amen. But I want to say this, that we do look at Mary and admire her for and learn from her life. She is absolutely a tremendous model of faith. Amen. A great example for us. It shows us how believers should respond to God. When God speaks, you listen. Amen. And when God speaks, you believe and you obey. And then you burst forth, starting in verse 46, how Mary did in worship. Now, I want to say this, that there are really two ways to live your life. And I want to share those two ways with you before we get into what we would call Mary's song, starting in verse 46. I know that some of you are already reading ahead. You're a bunch of cheaters. You know, I was going to read it like really cool. Now I'm not going to do it. No, I'm kidding. Verse 46, you'll see there's a song in there that Mary writes. We're going to read it here in a moment. Um, but there's two ways to live your life. One is to start with your life and your experience and project that onto God. This is called what I would call the bottom-up approach, Okay. When things are good, you listening? When things are good, God is good. 
He's close. He loves me. He, he cares about me. But then when things are hard, you start to wonder, does God exist? God must be very, very far away. He must not be very interested in my life. Maybe God's like a force, like an impersonal force just out there. Yeah, he may have done some things, but he's not really in control of anything. And he's not that powerful. And even though he may want to do good, he can't. He's not he's 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 just not strong enough. He's powerless. Now, let me tell you, if you start with a bottom up approach to living your life, you start with your feelings and your experiences. In other words, you start with how you grew up and where you grew up and who your parents are and the, uh, maybe the abuse that you had and experienced as a child. Or maybe you start with great sins when you became a teenager or a young person, a young adult, and you, you look at your life and you know you've made all of these terrible decisions, but you know it doesn't matter. So, so all of the sin and, or, or, or all of the suffering, what you do with that, with the bottom-up approach, is you, you project that onto God. And you say, well, God, you know, if he, if he were real, look at my life, you know, my life isn't that, you know, look at all the, look at my experience, look at my thoughts. I'm really smart. I'm, you know, somebody told me, you know, in the elementary school cafeteria, it said I was special. It was written on the wall. You are special. And, and so I must be really special and I'm really, really great. I don't really need God. I don't really need God. Because I'm so amazing. When we start with our experiences and we start with our truth and we start with our sin and our suffering and project that onto God, you know what happens? When you need God most you will run from him, not to him. And you will find yourself in a very difficult place. Some of you are there today. Your future is uncertain. What's going to happen next? How is this going to work out? And life has gotten very complicated. And maybe it's because of, you know, some sin you've committed. Maybe it's some sin that's been committed against you. Maybe it's just a terrible circumstance. The other way to live life is top down. And it is, a, it is to assume and to believe and to start with the truth that God is who he says he is. That the Bible is true. And that in his word, he reveals to us his character, his nature. His attributes, and to start with believing that and interpreting all of our life in light of what God has said and who He says He is. Now, this is different than a bottom up approach because it compels us to readdress where we find ourselves in life. It causes and forces you 
to examine if God really is who he says he is, then maybe I can address the circumstance that I'm facing differently. Maybe God really does have a plan for my life. And maybe the wrong that I feel right now, somehow I can trust God that he's going to turn this around for my good. Maybe. And it forces you to rethink your whole life. I was a sinner. I can never change. But man, God said I could change by the power of the Holy Spirit. So just maybe if that's true and I live in a top-down approach, I'll just be obedient to his word and see how things turn out. I'm going to start trusting in him and his redemptive power and the freedom that he gives us to live for him. Instead of doing things my way, I'll start to do things his way. This is the top-down approach. When we go to Scripture, we realize that God is good. God is not just good. He's great. He's great in power, and he's good in grace. He made the world good, but we have corrupted it through sin. I want you to know, friends, that the sin and the suffering and the sadness that is experienced, the evil in the world is not because of God. It is because of Satan and demons and sinners all working together in war against God. But God is good altogether, always and only good. God has no other side. He's just good. And he has a plan. And he's working it out and unfolding it through history to be a redeemer and a liberator and a deliverer and a savior. And so when we are suffering and when we are sinning or when we are anxious or when we are frustrated, we are to trust in God. Amen. And when you live under this top-down approach where you submit to the authority of God's word and you submit to the promise of God's character and his goodness over your life, when difficult things happen, you won't run from God, you'll run to God. It's a different way to live your life. And friend, I don't know if you're here today and you've been running from God, frustrated with sin, frustrated with suffering, frustrated with the direction that you find yourself in. I want you to know that God's got a plan for your life. I want you to know that God is for you and not against you. And really, the Christmas story is all about the promise that God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. Jesus coming to save you. That's what this story is all about. You say, how do I know, excuse me, how do I know that God really loves me? He sent his son, Jesus. That's what Christmas is, sending his son. Yeah, but my life is in shambles. Trust in God. Put your faith in God. See what God can do in your life. There is no fulfillment, no promise that will fulfill you or satisfy you in the world. The world will only fail you, but God will never fail you. You know, there's so many people in the Bible who were great examples of when they are faced with 
some terrible things. They always respond negatively or with evil in their life and their legacy. They suffer. And God gives those in Scripture to teach us and to warn us, amen, how not to respond. But there are other people that God uses to teach us how to respond to God in faith. And I believe that Mary is one of the great examples in the word of God. This young woman has much to worry about. Some of you worry really well. This is like your spiritual gift is worry. Amen. It's like, boy, you just everything, every little detail, it's worry. And, and I think women have, you probably have more of this gift than men because men will just go through life like, oh, it's going to be fine. No, it's going to be fine. Don't you see the wife is, oh, don't you see everything that is happening? You're not paying attention. It's like, no, I know everything that's happening, but uh, you're worrying. It's a, worry... Um, presented itself like just a hammer on Mary's life, just boom, with this Gabriel, the angel coming and telling her. lot to be concerned about. She, her health, her finances, relationships, her children, her future, her security, all up in the air now, amen? Mary was away from home, and she had no idea what, what to expect when she got back home. Will Joseph accept me? Will he abandon me? What will my family say? I'm a virgin. Mary is in a season of her life where she has a lot that she could be worrying about. But rather than worrying, we find Mary worshiping such a beautiful change in the way we can approach the worries of life amen so i'd like for you to read with me luke chapter 1 verse 46 through 49 i'm sorry verse 46 through 56 10 verses here luke 1 46 And what I would like for you to do as we read this text is the Holy Spirit will likely deal with you differently than he'll deal with me. So this is a long text. We have 10 minutes left in service. I don't have time to go through every little detail of all the things that Mary is going to say about God here. And so I would just ask maybe just in your heart right now, just think um, and ask God, the Holy Spirit, to maybe just take in an attribute about God's nature that you need. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. 
For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and returned to her home. Rather than worrying here, we find that Mary is worshiping. Worship is what we were made to do. It's what we are called to do. And if you don't know this, we are all worshiping all the time. We are all giving our focus, our energy, our passions, our time, our money to something. We all are worshiping something. And even in our worry and even in our anxiety, it is a worship of something other than God. Because now I need a functional savior to save me from the poor condition of my bank account. I need something other than God to save me from this difficult relationship with. Worry is showing you that you are not trusting in God. And what Mary does is she doesn't, even though she's, she's been handed a full deck of worry, she says, I'm going to worship God. And she declares this praise song, praising God for this blessing that's been given her. And she begins by saying, my soul magnifies the Lord. What she's saying is deep down in my new heart that God has given me as his daughter, I want to magnify the Lord deep down. Even in my soul, even though my life is uncertain, my health, my reputation, my marriage, my family, my future, I want God to be honored. I want God to be glorified. I want others to see that even in my life that God is good and he's good to me. It's an amazing song, Christmas song. Mary, did you know? Heard that song? I'm going to go ahead and uh, sing a special. Can you go ahead and run the soundtrack? I'm going to sing. Why y'all laugh? What's up with that? What? That's messed up. I got some vocal abilities, all right? But there's a line in that that says, Mary, did you know? that the baby that you delivered would soon deliver you. I want you to know that every time you hear that song, the answer is yes, Mary knew. We know that Mary knew because in verse 47, Mary says, and my spirit rejoices in God, 
my Savior. Mary knew. Mary knew what this son meant to her. And Mary knew what that son means for all of us, doesn't it? She knew that this would be the Savior of the world. That 2,000 years later, there would be some, some funky people from Alvin sitting in a church thinking about Christ and all his goodness and his saving grace. Amen. That Christ has truly come to save us from our sins. I want you to know that the true spirit of Christmas is often missed because of our preoccupation with Jesus as this external, superficial, shallow holiday. Worship this season should rise out of the depth of our inner being, and it should be a response to the wonder of God. To worship, true worship, is to worship in the Spirit, to reflect on all of God's goodness in our life. And even, and even when you feel like you're not tasting His goodness in the circumstance, we know that God is good because He's already sent a Savior. You understand that? That even though I may not see it right now, even though my life isn't the full picture of this, God has come to save me. Father, thank you for this time of getting into your word.